Tilaka, you had a question? Yeah. Should we seek professional help? <laughs> what do you mean? Can you give an example? Like someone who is psychotic or something like that? Or? Can you give an example? Okay. Uh, this uh, friend of mine, uh, he was uh, stopped from working. Right. Uh, so that means, but he doesn't accept that. He will say, "I withdrew from practice." He and was. He was. He was stopped from working. Yeah, the law society stopped him from working. Okay. Right. Because punished. of. He was punished. Right. <clears throat> Right. He, he cannot work for certain banks and this coming up. But he would put uh, the mortgage on this property to Royal Bank and he writes to Royal Bank. He ought to know that Royal Bank doesn't want him to be off the list of Royal Bank lawyers. Right. And uh, then he would say, uh, he, he, tells the, he tells the Royal Bank you know that uh, I did not, I withdrew from practice for two years and I may not be on the list of lawyers. So he's lying. So he cannot come up and see, he can't see that he was stopped from work. He cannot see, he cannot work for Royal Bank. Well, Buddhism won't work for him. You need professional help, right? Buddhism only works if you have awareness. So if you if a person is so deluded, sila would work, right? So on. But Buddhism Buddhism works if a person wants to change. But if a person is so um, grounded in in some fundamental delusion socially where it's not working, then they need some other kind of tools. But they have to want to be, to they have to want to be free from suffering. They have to want to be. You can't, you can't just drag some person to professional help and say, help this guy, he's hopeless. He has to want to go there. Um, but Buddhism only works if there's, if there's enough awareness to be objective. It just doesn't work otherwise. So, so, so like just talking about, um, say, monks who are very attached to the rules in a kind of superstitious way, it doesn't work for them. They might be good monks, but they don't know how to reflect. And, and you kind of see, whoa, what... You're not going to move much with this life. So, Buddhism, you know, it would work in terms of sila and so on, but the real heart of Buddhist liberation is this capacity to see the inner world objectively. And this person doesn't seem to have that capacity. How do you get them around to that? I have no idea. I often ask that to parents and children. When, When can your kids reflect? When do they have that reflective capacity? I don't know, but that seems to me the most important. And some people just think they don't know how to reflect. They're the, I'll say traditional Buddhists, when I've talked to them, that ones that just believe in Buddhism are usually the most deluded. <laughs> because they just believe in it, they don't know how to reflect on it. Not that they're bad people, but you try to get them to reflect on this, and it's just this kind of ma- a Buddhist mindset. 
positions, Buddhist positions, as opposed to Christian positions. We don't believe in God. We believe in karma. We believe in anatta. Leave me alone. You know, but nothing, nothing reflective there. And and um, so they can still be good Buddhists in that sense, keep sila, but they don't have panya. Panya. And if a person doesn't have panya, they don't know how to reflect. And then they're usually just stuck within a limited game plan. It's not bad. So, so the real heart of Buddhism is... So your friend, or the person you're talking about, doesn't have an ability to reflect. Either life will beat him up, good and proper, and he'll start to reflect, or he'll com- continue to make foolish, foolish decisions and foolish mistakes and need to be protected by friends and society or punished by friends and society. It's sad, yeah. That's very important, I think, in Buddhism. It's that reflective capacity, not the believing capacity. Faith is good, but faith has to be grounded in also um, panya. You know, we, we, we always, sada and panya, we always talk about faith and wisdom. It's very important. So it's, it's very, that, that example I like to give, I often give of, of a, uh, a lady in Auckland, who was from a traditional Buddhist society, and she, and uh, there was a man who lived next to us in the Auckland Vihara. Who was uh, he had just arrived from India, and he was he was full of bhakti, full of this beautiful devotion, and he talked in theistic terms, talked about God. But you could see his mind was very transcendent. It wasn't a kind of dualistic. Uh, anyway, very beautiful man. I invited him to come when we had a big dana. He came, and this woman happened to be there, and him, and myself, and, and I was really looking forward to chatting with him, because I like to dialogue through other, other religious metaphors and so on, and he starts talking about God, and she just went for his juggler and said, we don't believe in God, we believe in anatta, and you're a bloody fool. <laughs> and I, I felt so embarrassed, so, you know, so cringing, and, and oh, and yet she was so self-righteous, in her Buddhist views, but I don't think she's going to get past suffering, because she's, she's, you know, this is dittupadana, attachment to views, huh? and and that's one of the great um, sufferings of humankind, isn't it? attachment to views and opinions, um, and so holding to, we're not here to become Buddhists, we're not here to hold to Buddhist views as opposed to other views. We, we have to use them as tools for enlightenment to get beyond views. So we have samaditi. Right, right understanding, which basically is saying you have to go beyond position taking. So you know, all, like in Buddhism, you have Sakaya Ditti, personality view. Right, you have Micha Ditti, wrong view. You have Dittupadana, attachment to views. A lot, a lot of speech around that. So how do you use a reflective mind? So you're, you're the person you speak of. If they came to me, I'd say, I, you know, I'd say, sorry, I can't help you. But they would never come to me. You know. They they would never be interested in me. So, does that help at all? Or yeah, well, that's your problem. (laughs) 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 Yeah, he's done very well. (laughs) 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 He's great. That's the beauty of being a monk. I'm not a therapist. <laughs> What's that? You have met this gentleman too in my office. He's the other guy. Oh, 
I can't remember. I've only been to your office once, and let's not talk about people. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 for a type. Buddhism is for a type of person likes to reflect. So, like you know, in, in Indian religion, you have yoga, you have bhakti yoga, you have jnani yoga, you have karma yoga. You have these different ways that India is very good in describing the ways that um, spirituality or a spiritual being develops. So, karma yoga is service, and that would be arakulavan tadana. But the, the, the Buddha didn't encourage the bhikkhus to do karma yoga. He encouraged them to meditate, get strong samadhi, uh, and so it's a wisdom practice. But karma yoga is, is a valid practice too. You know, some people have that. They can just give up their whole ego to service. So people who, who are disciples of Mother Teresa, no matter what one thinks of her uh, viewpoints around... Um, abortion or, or whatever whatever it is but still people would really kind of give themselves to that and bhakti yoga devotion yoga uh, I think like born again Christians or that kind of person who, who really kind of get into a, a kind of mindset that's kind of bhakti yoga it's kind of deep deep faith yeah? uh, Theravada is, is just sort of us bumbling along kind of <laughs> practice so Theravada is more uh, reflective Reflected. But the others are valid, but then you need a teacher, like bhakti yoga. If you think of um, uh, some of the great bhakti teachers who haven't been corrupted, but in India, that's a very strong practice. Um, and, and there, if the teacher is very strong, they use the sense of devotion for the liberation of ego. But that's not the way the Buddha taught. He didn't teach that way. So it doesn't, it's not for everyone. This, this isn't this isn't for everyone. It's not that it's elitist. It's just the type of mindset is attracted to it. So good luck. <laughs> yes, Colleen. Um, you spoke at the retreat about um, an article you read in Harper's, and you didn't want to continue reading it, even though it was very clever analysis. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I, I got the... I could see it. I could see my mind moving towards cynicism and, and yeah. I said, no, I've been there too often. If I could have just read it more dispassionately, which I can sometimes, you know, I can read things dispassionately, but at that moment in time, it just made me cringe. And I just didn't want to go there. I just wanted to protect my mind. And, and that's what we call Indriya Sangwara, the the um, uh, sense restraint. That's a big one in monastic practice, obviously, the way we live our lives, Indriya Sangwara. And it's something that we all do in terms of what we're looking at, what we're eating, what we're thinking, what we're consuming as, as intellectuals or as, as physical beings. And, and, and Indriya is very important to protect yourself from, from energies which you think are be negative. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. It's, it's a, it's very important. It's, 
Yeah. So even though it might be right, you know, that just feeds my political, cynical, negative, depressed, the world's come going down the tube mind. And I've got enough of that already, thank you. <laughs> and I need a bit of, yeah, but there are good people. And I saw a raccoon yesterday. <laughs> and so on and so forth. That That's balancing out. And you see people who are political junkies, who, you know, you press th- that great story of Lumpo Semedos when, when Nixon was being... Um, um, yeah, what do you, when you take out a president, what do you do? Impeached. impeached. When he was being impeached, the, um, the, I was up in I was up in Northeast time to take out a president. <laughs> and NSA is listening. Um, we were up in Thailand, and this guy from the Peace Corps came through, and this this thing with Nixon is happening, and we didn't get much news. And Lompol was talking to this guy, and he he was just apoplectic about Nixon, just livid. And Lompol watched him, and he listened for a while, and then the guy settled down. And then Lompol noticed that any time the word Nixon came up, (laughs) so he started to play with him. Nixon. And then after you know a few a few episodes of that, he said, "Do you notice what happens? Do you notice what happens to your mind every time you say Nixon? You know, you're like Pavlov, totally Pavlovian response." <laughs> Trying to, and that that is even though he's right, as it were, it's wrong view. So Lompocha would have that. It's right, but it's not. It's it's true, but it's not right. It's right, but it's not true. That kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but that that thing is that our intentions I'm the owner of my kama heir to my kama born of my the word for born the, 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 in the chanting it's it's the womb so the womb of my future is the intentions right now powerful powerful kind of idea I'm born of my kama so and also then okay it, uh, the, the, so if I talk about my own predicament with fear okay that's what's come up for some reason, I didn't really know why, and that was the karmic result. And you don't have to project that into past lives. You know, it's not necessary. You could, but you just say, "Okay, what can I do now?" Rather than lamenting the fact that there is this fear now, what can I do in the future? What can I do now for? So. Yeah, may I be free from fear? And you, what's the intention there? It's compassion. That mind moment is compassionate rather than judgmental or fearful. So even though you feel the fear, you the mind the mindset you're you're feeling the fear with is compassion, and that creates the next mind moment. So. I'll live with it. It's happening. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you're both mindful. You're aware of it as an object. You don't take it personally. Da 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 da. And that begins to liberate that condition from consciousness. Harini? For me, it's, it's first of all, getting out of the narrative. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? 
And for me, basically, it's body meditation. So the background of me getting out of the narrative is always this will change. That's the background uh, panya, which is always informing each mind moment. And if you've practiced enough with that, that becomes your worldview. You just know this is uncertain, not me, not mine. And it's not just the Buddhist catechism. You know, it is, it is a, a profound sense that you know this will change. And you keep reminding yourself of that. And then, but still, the processing, for me, the processing uh, of fear is in the body. So I go down and I, and I feel it in the belly and in the chest and just feel fear as it goes. And sometimes, if not so much anymore, but sometimes I'll just start to yawn because my whole, my whole system is now c- contracted to some extent. It's not, I think I just have a, a subtle sense of a, what that is about. I didn't before, but, but I, 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 I bring attention down through my throat, um, through the heart chakra, through the belly, and then I just feel the whole thing relaxing, and a huge kind of yawning, yawning takes place, and that's that's the the body liberating that karma, uh, releasing it, and not being caught in the thoughts around it. So something quite minor might trigger it, seeming unimportant, but if it's triggered, good. You see it as a good thing because now I can process this karma. And, and not believe in it, get more mindfulness around it, see it that has a, a physical component, which is unpleasant, and allow the body to release it as an energy, and then the body feels very light and liberated from that tension. So an informed understanding of the mind through the body is tremendously helpful. Yeah? Wholesome, yeah. It's bringing metta into something which I'd normally have aversion to or fear of. So normal response to fear is fear. Fear, I'm afraid of the fear. Or anger, I don't want it. So now I'm saying, whoa, this is really difficult, but may I be free from fear. So I'm putting a different mindset in. But I'm not denying its existence. That's why it's such a good, a good line. Yes. Sankara Kanda is very complex. So it's a sort of large, large um, aggregate where you can include all kinds of things and intention would be in that. Right? So is the word Sankara itself is is an interesting word. It it basically is something which depends on other things and it in itself conditions other things mm-hmm. so it's like a chain of causality mm-hmm. so the uh, the light that I see now is a sankara it dependent on electricity and the sankara itself creates light right so that's what sankara means so it can be uh, physical things or mental things but in the five kanda formulation it usually refers to mental things but the body is a sankara right mm-hmm. 
So everything is a sankara except nibbana. So we say nibbana is a sankata, not conditioned, not dependently originated. So the interesting thing is what sankaras lead to the end of sankaras. Philosophical is a very interesting question because how can you how can you realize the end of sankaras? Hat. Um, (laughs) That's how you can realize the end of cold. How can you realize the end of sankaras with sankaras? I used to kind of what? I used to think about that. How could that be possible? Well, it wasn't possible. You couldn't do anything. You'd just be stuck, Mm -hmm. right? But the Buddha says, no, no. You can use. Sankaras to put an end to sank- or to find the asankata, the unconditioned. So intention is the primary one. And your intention is to awaken, to change, rather than become someone who is enlightened. So all the time you're dropping ego view and becoming and craving into awakening to the present moment. That's the basic intention. And that intention is the only one that could really get you liberated because that's the present moment. It's not about time, not about future. And at some point, you have to stop making effort. Because even the effort to awaken is still me making it. So what you find as a meditator, the doing starts to become less doing. You know, because now your mind has stability, you have good precepts, you know, your, your life is okay, and the need to always do meditation starts to get less and less and less. Because your mind just naturally abides in suchness. Just suchness, you get that, huh? And, and, and the letting go becomes more and more profound around doing, around doing. And then so the realization of the unconditioned is, is mysterious. You know, all, myst- all, all, you know all, all the, like, you read about any of the saints or in any tradition, well, how did that happen? I don't know how it happened. So the Buddha says you can, you can lay a foundation, but then you have to let go of trying to become enlightened. That's the paradox. So intention is very important there. So if the intention is grounded in right, uh, right understanding and non-becoming, non-aversion, presence to the way things are, that's your best shot at it. <laughs> Non-reaction. Yeah. And all these different, the different ways we describe that. Yeah. Yeah. It's Gaia Curtis. Why, why the triggers? Well, for me, the, the, the contact creates the conditions for the mood to arise. So the contact might be, um, let's say I, I, I get a blood test and they say I've got cancer. You know, I've never had that diagnosis. So, phone up the doctor, the doctor says, the big C. So that's contact. And then, what does it do to my mind? I don't know. Maybe I'll say, oh, great, I'm out of here. <laughs> but probably not. I'll say, oh, God, got to go through that. Or, or oh, no, I'm going to go through that. So, I don't know what the response is, but that'll be the mood of the mind. And, and we don't know. We don't know. But, so, con- with contact, there is feeling. With feeling, there's craving. With craving, there is attachment. With attachment, there's becoming. 
Right? And that's the Paticca Samuppada, dependent origination. So the contact is always what stimulates the feeling. And if you're blindsided by someone, let's say you're blindsided by a cancer um, diagnosis, who didn't I thought I was I ate all my carrots yesterday, you know, and didn't expect and whoa, and you don't know, and then it's very powerful. And so the feeling is very negative, maybe. Very, very negative, very fearful. You have to be really mindful there. Because the craving mind was how am I gonna do this, what am I gonna do? And start thinking, 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 think, think, think. So the more powerful the blindsidedness of, of, of the the, you know, the more powerful the contact is the more powerful your mind takes off with it but that power depends on your conditioning so some people if they're insulted oh, it doesn't matter some people they're insulted they get really you know very um, angry or whatever so you don't you don't know so the the you 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 can protect yourself from some of those triggers by living a good life so trying to have good friends and not going to Syria you know, this is, this is a good policy. But if you are in Syria, boy, you imagine how difficult that. I mean, almost impossible, almost impossible. Um, so the mood of the mind is triggered, but the reason it's triggered is kamma. I'm the heir to my kamma, not the trigger. The trigger just happens to be, say, like if I'm really exhausted and and got the flu and tired, and people have been asking me stuff all day, and some. One person asks just one time too many and I blow my top. The conditions are all there for it to explode. Um, and then the mood, and then the, and then the longevity of the mood depends on how it's been conditioned in the mind, how surprised you were by it, and then how you reacted to it. So if you can, if you can get a kind of constant body awareness, you've always got a place to process even being blindsided by something. You just go to the body. Okay, where is it? Hang in there. Just where is it? So you don't create any more karma. That, that's one thing I often uh, contemplate myself. Don't create any more karma here. My my desire to react might come up. Don't create any more karma. Just, just be patient. Don't create any more It's very good. It's a very... It saved me a lot of suffering. Because, <laughs> so, you know, sometimes me, me as the abbot, saying, I'm going to tell these guys... And, you know, and then I'm glad I didn't say anything. Because it's just my own projections. So just, how can I not create any kamma here? Very helpful. Maureen? So, um, when, when I was doing this practice today, as you were guiding it, and um, in the past when I've actually done this practice in previous situations, the same thing comes up for me, which, um, you know, if I'm mindful, which today I had some sleepiness, so I wasn't totally mindful, but when I was, and I could see, you know, like an emotion come up, and I could, you know, what what I love about this practice is that it you can see that your identification with it and and like your disidentify you know that mo- moment of disidentifying with it you know and that it's not me so you know if I'm angry then it's like no it's anger's not me it's just anger brilliant yeah anger. <clears throat> well what always happens to me and that happened today is when I've done that a few times in a row and I kind of you know as things have come up and I seen it mindfully and then it, I see it pass. I come to this point where I'm aware of awareness. Mm-hmm. So the mind that's watching, I become very aware of that mind. But that mind, I cannot disidentify from. Like I'm very identified with that mind as me. Mm-hmm. And it's this has happened so many times in my meditation. I just 
I wonder what insight, like what you can say, how do you reflect on that mind, the mind that's knowing it? Well, you have to be aware of the very sense of me as an object, because it is an object. The very sense of I am the one that is aware is still a perception. And that's more subtle, and it's a powerful perception. So if you can just stay attentive to that, you'll see it falls away. It comes up and falls away. It's not a permanent thing, perception that I am aware. <clears throat> but what it often leads is to doubt. And then your mind gets caught into the trap of trying to figure this one out. And that's where thought won't, won't help you. Okay, yes, yes. Well, yeah, you can do that, but the trouble with that is that you're still with the sankharas. And to realize the asankata dhamma, you have to let go of all objects. And that's, that's when you get these more nebulous kind of predicaments. Who is aware, right? And that's when you get doubt. So, I would say do both. Like, look at the breath, but look at the compulsion to be with an object. Look at that need to always focus on an object. Observe that as a type of mind. Don't dismiss it, but just see, okay, this, this move to get an object. And then just observe the, 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 the very sense of being the doer. But usually we're not, ex- we're not aware of that perception. We're trying to figure it out. Who is the doer? Where is the doer? And it's, it's endless. So that's where the search actually ends. That's, that's it. You, don't, you want to stop searching there. But the searching mind is still looking for an object. So as long as we are attentive to objects, they can be good grounding, but we become so addicted to objects that we don't know how to just be. So when that objects start to fall away, we get this kind of, what? No object. So we grab the breath, which isn't bad. <clears throat> so the exploration can't be intellectual. It just has to be sitting in the middle of not knowing. Sitting, sitting in the middle of this feeling that I am still the aware-er. But if you hold your attention on that, it falls away to emptiness. But you just have to wait. You, know, you just have to wait. You can't figure it out. So what, what have, what I, I, sus- I suspect what you, you, you've been doing is try, at that point, you try to figure it out. I'm not sure, but that's quite often the case. You know, you, you kind of get into this kind of quizzical state, of, oh, but you're still looking for something where you you are the thing. <laughs> you are that, as they say. You don't have to look for anything. That that very sense of knowing is where it's at. But the mind is so 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 uh, habituated to objective reality that when that begins to fall away, well, where you're still looking for something. And it's the very looking which you want to know as an object. So you're never looking for anything. <laughs> it's curious, isn't it? So I, I would suggest just um, uh, don't try to figure it out. Just just kind of note, oh, that's a sense of me being the awareer. See what happens. And then maybe you'll see the kind of needing to figure something out. I'm not sure. And then if it gets confusing, go back to the breath. Get settled again. It's good, good standard. Yeah. All right. Okay. Ciao. Huh? 
Oh, hey guys, <laughs> girls, ciao. Mm -hmm. I'd shave my head. <laughs> But barring that, um, yeah, the, the 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 one of the mis misunderstandings of Buddhism is that we are we allow people to use us as doormats, right? So they just wipe their Nike's on our nose, kind of thing. Um, so there's two issues. One is is one is around reciprocating with anger. You don't want to do that because you condition the mind for more anger. But the other is the inability to say your truth. Why can't I just say, "Don't do that"? What is it about my character that can't speak into that situation with strength? And usually it's fear, or it can be that one is in an inferior position of power, and one has no choice, and you just have to ride it out because the consequences would be too great to challenge, and so on. So if it's fear, then that's something you want to look at. In all social situations, is is it really about their anger, or is it my lack of uh, my fear, which creates an inability to speak. So that's one issue. Is it a social a social convention where I just have to buck up, grit my teeth, and this person is going to dump on me, but I got no choice? And if it is, then that's the way it is. I mean, obviously, if you can change it to something better and more wholesome and more skillful, good. If you can't, then okay, okay, it's my comma somehow. I've got to hang in with this. So you use all the legal methods and social conventions you can to have this not happen but if it happens you see well that's my limitation right now um, and then you 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 just try to under your breath do some kind do some kind of gata you know may I, may I be well may I be well may I be well may some kind of protection chant is very good you know someone someone is just speaking to you in, in, a, in an unkind way and you've got no choice you just you know it's You're going to have to bear with this one. And I'm not saying that that's right, but sometimes socially that's just the way it is. Then if you can put some kind of protection mantra in your mind, may I, may I be free from suffering, may I be free, or, or something like that, you fill your mind with a, with a kind of wholesome thinking so that you're not a sponge to this toxic stuff that's coming at you. right? So somehow not to be so receptive that you carry this person's toxicity around for days and days and days. I mean, if it's really unwholesome, obviously you, you've got to change your job or change the work or whatever. And if you can't, like in our, like we have a social convention, we just can't do that. If any monk does that, we're going to nail them. <laughs> in a good, nice way. <laughs> 
but we have you know we have rules about this. So we have social conventions. So we can always refer to social conventions. Bunty, I'm sorry, that admonishment was full of anger. That's wrong. You can't do that. And all of us can can testify to that. And so we have protection mechanisms around that. So if a if a monk loses the plot and yells at another monk, he's got to apologize. He's got to say, no, that's wrong. He can admonish, but he can't do it. So we have a whole system of, of, of training which says the, the person who admonishes has to know their own mind, has to know if their mind is free from anger, has to know the rules, um, has to be clear that they are not in offense of the same kind of offense and so on. There's a whole list of stuff that, that uh, if, you, if you take it on seriously, protects the community and the individual. But much of society doesn't have that. You know, um, society. I think getting better at that. I think yeah. so. So look, I would say, look at the fear, and the other is develop some kind of inner inner mantra that you just start whispering to yourself. May you drop dead. May you drop. No, it's not. It's not that's a, that's the. <laughs> If it's really bad, just go yell at a tree or something afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) All right?